So we are looking at Romans. Um, in our small groups, we've been looking at Romans. Um, and this week, we are focusing on Romans 3, from 21 to 31. Um, as you turn there, we'll actually start at verse 19, just so you can figure out where we are. So Romans 3, 19 to 31. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will declare, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. When then is boasting? Is it excluded? Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Yeah, great uh, that you can tune in today. Uh, and from tomorrow, uh, the government's just announced that we can have 50 people gathering here on site for prayer, for reading the Bible, for worship. Uh, and so what that means is our growth groups now have a new freedom. Uh, if your group's too big to gather at home, you can come onto the ministry centre. All you need to do is just nominate someone from your group to contact the office you know, tomorrow, make a booking, uh, and then you can find out information about how your group uh, can gather here on site uh, and can be together physically uh, again. Uh, but this morning, I have a great privilege, uh, and that is to share the heart of the good news of Jesus. Uh, it is such a wonderful passage, this second half of Romans chapter 3. And I want to pray that God... Um, enables me to speak with clarity, with simplicity, but also truthfully uh, about this good news of Jesus. And I want to pray for each one of us as we listen, uh, that we will listen well and understand. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you that we are gathered around you even now, hearing you speak to us. Uh, please help me speak the truth about Jesus, the beautiful, profound, amazing good news of Jesus and his death on our behalf. 
And Father, please help each one of us to listen and to understand. Please produce in us faith in the Lord Jesus, to trust him with our lives and our future, to rest secure in him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to start this morning with me outside of Wyong Courthouse. Uh, And you might ask, why am I outside Wyong Courthouse? It's because that's where the big issue of Romans 3 occurs, in a courtroom. So here I am, outside the courthouse, and notice I'm feeling anxious, nervous, worried. Now, why would that be? Well, it's because I'm guilty, right? Now, this is hypothetical, right? But because I'm guilty, I've committed a crime, and I have no excuse. I disappear inside the courtroom, and then, minutes later, I come out joyfully, celebrating, because the judge declared me not guilty. How how good would that be? Uh, And I may be happy, I may be joyful, But how is that right? Uh, How can you say that justice has been done, especially if what I've done was a terrible wrong, Uh, especially if it's something that kind of demanded justice? How could I walk away not guilty without undermining the entire justice system? So that's what's going on throughout America right at the moment. Right at the moment in America, there are riots, there's looting, there is incredible anger because there is a feeling that that the justice system is letting people down, Uh, that black people are being uh, abused and even killed and kind of like the law turns a blind eye or justice is kind of swept under the carpet, that People who do things to black people are not getting what they deserve. And because there's a feeling that the justice system is letting them down, it's spilling over into people kind of demanding justice. Now, I raise these things because these issues lie at the heart of the good news of Jesus. God is our judge and he is impartial. He always judges fairly. He will certainly give us exactly what we deserve. And we've not only done the wrong thing, we have personally offended the judge himself, uh, which is saying something. Because God, by his very nature, is slow to anger. He is full of compassion and love. And yet we, by our sin by our persistent sin, have offended God, have aroused his anger towards us. And we've seen that in chapters 1 and 2, haven't we? So if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, it's been somber. Uh, it's, it's been heavy at times because we've seen that the God who made us, uh, it's clear, there's a clarity to the truth about God, but that truth about God is something that we suppress, we reject it. We exchange the truth for lies. We abandon God's ways. We approve of evil. And then we start kind of pointing the finger at others, not realizing that we are doing the same things. There are three fingers pointing back at ourselves. And all of this, the hypocrisy, the immorality, 
uh, it, it builds anger from God towards us. A kind of a penalty needs to be paid. So by chapter 3, Paul, Paul paints a picture of the judgment day, that day in the future where every single one of us, me and you, every single person who has ever lived, we will stand before the God who made us and give an account. And this is the God that we have personally offended. This is the God that we have suppressed the truth about. He will not let evil go unpunished. He is just and good. On that day, there'll be nowhere to hide, no excuses, nothing that we can say, no defence. How could it be that I could stand before God on that day and for him to hand down the declaration, not guilty, David Sheath, not guilty, you know, Tim Lynn, not guilty. How could that be the case? How could God declare me righteous? Or in the words of this passage, God says, I am justified. That is, it's just if I'd never sinned, just if I'd never sinned. So here is the big question this passage and the good news of Jesus forces to wrestle with. How can God be just and at the same time treat me just if I'd never done anything wrong? For God to look on me and declare me not guilty. Is God lying? Is God covering up the evil? Does he somehow kind of sweep it under the carpet and turn a blind eye to it? And how could that possibly be just? No. With God, there are no dodgy deals. There is no compromise of justice. There is no, nothing wrong with his character. He is able to be perfectly just and right, but at the same time show mercy and love and forgiveness. And that is where the good news of Jesus takes us. Uh, it takes us to that place. So that, and, and, and this thing, it was once impossible, but now God has made it possible through Jesus for me and you, the guilty, to be declared innocent. Uh, and that's because something has changed. Look at verse 21 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Notice the first two words. But now. Now something has changed. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. There, there now is away. We can be righteous without having had obeyed the law. Verse 22 says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So this righteousness is not something that we earn, not something we deserve. It's a gift that we receive as we trust Jesus. And Paul says the Old Testament, the law and the prophets testified to this. They spoke about this and we'll see how they spoke about this this morning. They looked forward to the coming of a new era of forgiveness, of God's people being made righteous by faith. Now that leads me to this place, 
Again, I'm in the streets of Wyong and you think, what am I doing outside of this shop on the streets of Wyong? Well, it's a porn broker. How it works is I might need some money uh, and you know, I sort of think, well, I haven't got any cash. I need some money. So I might go and take something of value to me. Like I might take my watch, uh, take my watch off and I might hand it over and say, you have my watch and they'll give me some money in exchange. Uh, and uh, if I want my watch back, so if I want my precious watch back, what I have to do is go and redeem it. I actually have to pay money to redeem it, to release it uh, so that I can have it again. Now that language of to redeem something or the language of redemption came from the, uh, from the world of slavery. See, in the ancient world, most people or many people were slaves. They weren't free to do whatever they wanted to. They were captives. They were kind of almost owned. They were the possession of someone else. But someone could redeem you from slavery by paying the price. So to redeem is to pay the price to buy someone out of slavery. And that was not just a few dollars. It cost a lot. Uh, more, than, more money than a slave could have earned. But look at verse 22. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. They fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Each one of us were slaves to sin. We were stuck in sin, stuck under the weight of guilt and shame. We were in a, we were in a situation that we couldn't buy ourselves out of. Nothing we could do could pay the price for our freedom. But God is generous. So you notice what it says? He justified us freely by his grace. Grace just means generosity. It cost us nothing, but it cost God lots. In fact, it would cost the Son of God his very life. It would cost him everything to gain our freedom, to redeem us uh, as he laid down his life in exchange for our freedom so that we're no longer trapped in sin, but we are justified, just if I'd never sinned. So I want to ask, have you been redeemed? Have you been set free from guilt and shame? Have you been set free from just that weight of condemnation that I think instinctively we know hangs over our heads, that we're stuck in sin and the consequences of sin? It is so good to know that the debt has been paid. Uh, we have been redeemed, bought out of that miserable life through Jesus' death on the cross. So there's the first kind of idea, the redemption that Jesus brings. But this passage takes us deeper. And that's why I ended up here at Jillaby Goat Farm. 
Uh, and you go, what am I doing at Jillaby Goat Farm? Well, I'm trying to catch goats. Uh, and let me tell you, they're not as easy to catch as you might think. Um, but in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to have a right relationship with him. Um, but the problem was, God's people in the Old Testament, the Jews, were just as sinful as we are. Um, even though they had God's law, the words of God, even though they were loved by God, even though they had so many privileges, just like us, they suppressed the truth about God. They exchanged truth for lies. Just like us, they approved evil. They did evil. They pointed the finger at others whilst at the same time they did the wrong thing themselves. Uh, and all of this made, God's, made God angry with his own people. Uh, and because he loved them, what God did is he made a way for their sin to be dealt with, for his anger to be turned aside. Yes, he was rightly angry with them, but here was a way for his anger to be turned aside. Uh, and this is where the goats came in. Uh, it's the idea of a sacrifice of atonement, or some of the old versions of the Bible use the word propitiation. Um, but what it means at the heart of it is this idea that there's an offering, something is offered in sacrifice that would turn aside God's anger, God's wrath. The priest would take a goat, lay his hands on the goat, and the whole community were gathered around and what that symbolised, as the priest put his hands on that goat, it symbolised my sin, our sin, is actually being transferred. The shame, the guilt for my sin is being transferred onto this animal. And then the goat would be killed and its blood shed. A graphic demonstration that sin has terrible consequences that sin must be punished. Uh, it can't just be overlooked or ignored. It can't just be swept under the carpet. The way we have treated God and each other deserves death. So Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The right penalty for sin is death. But the goat dies in our place. Uh, and so on this day of atonement, the first goat was killed, but then they took a second goat. And this goat they called the scapegoat. And again, the priest would lay his hands on the goat, symbolizing the sin of the priest and the nation being transferred onto this goat. And then he would banish the goat, send it out into the wilderness to perish. Now, this was my first time, so the goat wasn't you know, playing by the rules, so to speak. So it was hard to actually drive the goat away. But eventually, the goat wandered off. But just imagine there you are there in the community. And there you've seen this graphic symbol of the priest as a representative of us laying his hands on this goat and then the goat being banished and wandering off into the wilderness. A symbol that... Somehow, my sin needs to be removed. If I, a sinful person, if we, sinful people, want to have 
relationship with the pure, perfect, holy, just God, then our sin has got to be dealt with. Our sin needs to be removed. But how is it possible for a goat to take away my sin? It's a graphic picture, but it was only ever a picture pointing towards something greater. Uh, the goats, the lambs, the bulls that were sacrificed in the Old Testament ultimately pointed to a greater sacrifice. A man, a human being who would be the perfect sacrifice, who would lay down his life in my place. And there's a beautiful passage that came 700 years before Jesus, where God spoke of this man, this man who God would send and God would act as the priest and lay on this man the sin of us all. And this man would bear our sin, die for our sin and banish our sin. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This man that God promised, this suffering servant, would, would be offered by God as a sacrifice in our place. And ultimately, it all points towards the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus is one of us. To pay for our sin, he had to be one of us. He had to be able to, be perf to perfectly represent us, a just penalty. Uh, and Jesus is not just any man. Jesus is God come amongst us. God made flesh with a mission to actually lay down his life in sacrifice for us. Romans 3 puts it like this. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the, the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. See, God doesn't just ignore my sin. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He doesn't turn a blind eye. Sin must be punished. But because of his love, his mercy, his compassion, God provides the substitute. One who is perfectly able to stand before, between God and man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the only one qualified to stand and receive our sin and the penalty and die for us. Now, I want to ask, have you accepted Jesus' sacrifice for your sin? God will punish all sin. God will do what is right on that final day of judgment in the future. But it is so good to know that Jesus died for me and Jesus died for you. You trust Jesus and Jesus' death takes the penalty 
for your sin. Jesus' death banishes your sin. As far as the east is from the west, God will remove your sin and its consequences from you. Carried far, far away. Now, there's one more stop before we finish our tour of the central coast. And here I am outside the library. And can you see that I look worried? Now, this is actually a true story. Um, you see, I had borrowed a book from the library and then I lost it. And weeks went by, months went by, and I started receiving letters from the library, letters from our local council, demanding me return the book. Uh, and demanding that if I didn't, I had to pay a fine. And, then, and the fine kept on increasing. And then eventually years went by. Uh, and it's a, it was a funny dynamic because to go to the shops, you know, at Tugra or even Baddow Bay, I'd have, to, I'd have to walk past one of the branches of the library. And every time I did, there was this kind of pang of guilt because I knew that there was, there was a rift between me and the library. Um, and I, I, I actually endured this for years, this sense of guilt and angst. I actually started to feel a bit angry with the library and the council uh, because I felt powerless to do anything about it. So eventually, one day I plucked up the courage and I rang the library. I actually felt nervous, but uh, I rang the library and I said, look, you know, I explained the situation. I can't find this book to do to pay off the debt. How much would it take? Um, how, what, would, what do I need to do to kind of reconcile the library and myself so I can walk into the library without feeling guilty? And she said, all you need to do is bring a book by the same author, hand it over, exchange it. And I was like, man, that's too easy. And so I went straight down to the bookstore. Um, I found a book by the same author, although you've got to watch what book, because uh, look at this uh, book that I found, Bugalug's The Bum Thief. Uh, didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the right kind of... That, that wasn't the book I borrowed, but that was by the same author. But I didn't think that would go down too well. So I found another book uh, by the same author, took it to the library and handed it to the librarian. Uh, and she was a bit mystified. I don't think this happens every day. Uh, but we kind of had a laugh together. Uh, and because we're now friends. Uh, and, you know, I can just walk into the library whenever I want. And I walked out of the, that library that day feeling good. Now, what's the point? Well, it's this word, atonement. Uh, and literally, at one moment. Right, at one moment, and that is people who were once estranged from each other, there's a grievance between people, have been reconciled, made at one with one another. Now, Jesus is God's sacrifice of atonement. Between us and God, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, there, there is a problem. There is a breakdown of relationship. God has a genuine grievance with us. Not just a trivial grievance that is easily resolved, like my library book. God was rightly angry with us. 
And what could we possibly offer? What could we possibly offer to remove God's wrath and make us friends, make us right with God again? And the answer is, there is nothing. It was powerless for us to do anything. No amount of good things we do could actually make up or to bridge the gap or, or uh, heal the relationship. But God provided the perfect offering, the Lord Jesus. Our guilt, our shame, the penalty for our sin laid on him to remove the guilt and shame so that we can be at one with God, right with him, friends with him. So I want to ask, has Jesus made atonement for you? Because if you search your heart without Jesus, we suspect there's a problem. Some of us know there's a problem. And some of us just avoid thinking about it because you go, well, I'm powerless to do anything about it. Some of us, like me with the library, get, get kind of angry with God because it's that powerlessness. I can't do anything about this. But then God offers his son as the perfect sacrifice. It is such a relief. It is such a relief to know that the God who made me the God who I will one day stand before to give an account that we're friends. In fact, through Jesus, I'm his child. And so on that day, instead of God punishing me for my sin, God will welcome me and all who put their trust in Jesus. Have a look at what it says there. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So remember the question we began with? How can God be just and at the same time treat me just if I'd never done anything wrong? And the answer is only only through the death of Jesus in my place, paying the price to redeem me from sin and death. Only through that perfect sacrifice God offered to remove my guilt and shame, only through God making atonement so that God and me, God and you, could be reconciled and made friends again. And the way we receive this gift of righteousness is by faith, by putting our trust in God and his promises, by putting our trust in Jesus and his death in our place. And next week, we spend much more time wrestling with what faith looks like. We don't earn this thing. We receive it by trusting the Lord Jesus. More on that next week, but let me lead us in prayer now. Dear God, our Father, we are sorry. We are sorry that we ignore the truth about you. We ignore you. We disobey you. We run our lives our own way. We're sorry for the way that we can accuse others or gossip or slander others 
without seeing the same problems in ourselves. Uh, Father, we are sorry that we are deserving that, of your wrath, that we have stirred your anger. But Father, we want to thank you so much that you are full of compassion, full of mercy and kindness. And so you have done what we could not do. You have fully satisfied justice. You have enabled the price to be paid. And yet at the same time, you've enabled us, the guilty ones, to be cleansed and forgiven for our sin to be removed as far as the east is from the west. And so, Father, please help us to trust you, to trust your son, Jesus. Help us to not try to earn our way into your favour, but to trust that Jesus has done what needs to be done and help us to live our lives in loving worship of Jesus. Uh, in loving worship of our Saviour and our King. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.